assistant pastor here at Fellowship Church. Um, Anthony and our other one of our other assistant pastors, Ladina, is in Oklahoma this weekend with Trina. Uh, they are there visiting their home church that Trina has started. So I am preaching, and then our um, our assistant pastor team is here as well. But today I am speaking. So a really quick recap. Last week, our associate pastor, Casey, he spoke on um, the story of the golden calf and just that Moses had been in up on Mount Sinai for about 40 days. And while he was gone, Israel built an idol. And then after they worshiped the idol, they uh, actually threw a feast for God, for uh, the Lord. And Moses came down. He had received the law on two tablets, and he broke the two tablets, um, and then Moses begins to intercede for Israel, and God agrees not to smite them because of Moses's intercession, um, and then he, uh, the Levites go in the camp, and they kill about 300 men, and then a plague actually falls on the camp of the Israelites. And so where we pick up today is that God um, comes to Moses in what is called the tent of meeting, and he tells Moses to take the Israelites to the promised land. He tells him, I will um, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and say um, to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So go to the land fill, flowing with milk and honey, and but I will not be among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Um, any moms? There's got to be a lot of moms here. Uh, any moms have those days where your husband gets home, and you say, do you know what your kids did today? They're no longer your kids. They're his kids. <laughs> Um, that happens about once a week. I'm like, do you know what your son said to me? Um, that's kind of how I imagine God is feeling. He's like, these people, these people, they're frustrating. Um, but Moses is uh, a wonderful intercessor. And Moses goes again to God. And he begins to intercede. And this is like the second or the third time since he's come off of Mount Sinai. And so God... What God is saying is, I will keep my promise. I'm not going to smite the whole people, take them into the land that I promised them. I will send an angel to clear out the land so that they can take their inheritance. But I cannot be there because I will consume them. And um, in previous passages, God says he will send his angel and he calls them my people. And in this passage, he, he says, I will, I'll send an angel and the people, not my people. So God is frustrated, and Moses um, comes to God, and Moses is a foreshadowing figure of the true intercessor, which is Jesus. And so in this interaction, we see how Jesus actually comes and intercedes for us, because as much as we like to tease and ridicule ancient Israelites, like, why couldn't you be faithful? We're just as faithless. And Jesus intercedes for us constantly. So God first reminds God, no, Moses reminds God who he is. And he reminds him who the people are. 
And so uh, Moses says, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And the Lord responds, my presence will go with you. And Moses says, if I found favor in your sight, um, or no, Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So a few things. First, Moses asks, you have to go. Your presence has to come up with us. You have to send. You have to tell me who's going. If I found favor, you're going to go with me. And God says, you found favor. I'll go with you. And it seems like Moses doesn't catch it. But what's actually happening is God is saying, Moses, I'll go with you. You have found favor. And so I will go with you and I will give you rest. But Moses, that's not good enough. And so just like last week, um, God told Moses, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restart with you. You will father the nation of Israel. And Moses says, no, you promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God... This is a funny tension because God doesn't need Moses to remind him. God doesn't need Moses to hold him accountable. But God chooses to partner with us. And so he allows Moses this space to come in and to intercede and allows him to have this back and forth with God. And so again, Moses says, it's not good enough for you to go just with me. You have to go with the nation. And he reminds God, we are distinct because you are with us. So at this point, Israel has nothing. Israel has no land. They have no uh, great lineage. They've been slaves for 400 years. They don't, they don't have anything. What, they don't have their law because Moses received the law, broke the tablets. He has not told them what the law is. And so all Israel has is the fact that God is with them. He is in their camp. He is a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And other nations and other people, they are seeing this, and they're seeing how God is dwelling in the camp of the Israelites. And Moses reminds God, if you leave, we have no distinction. We're just like everyone else. And so um, God agrees. He agrees to go with Moses. And then Moses, who is... Um, you have to keep in mind, the Bible records Moses as the meekest man on earth, okay? So he's, he's gentle, he's quiet, we know that he has a stutter, okay? But when he goes before the Lord, he is not meek. He is bold, and he longs to know the Lord. He longs to know the Lord more and more. And so God says, okay, I will go with you, and I will go with the nation of Israel. And Moses says, great, show me your glory. That's, that's how the conversation is recorded. The Lord agrees. Moses goes, now show me your glory. And so when we're, when we're looking at Israel, Israel is never satisfied. God brings them out of slavery. They see, they see him fight the Egyptians through the plagues so that they can be relieved from their slavery. They see God um, part an ocean or a sea so that they can pass through on dry land. They see the same ocean 
devour their enemies that are pursuing them. And heavenly bread basically falls from the sky that they eat every day. Quail appears. They see miracle after miracle after miracle, and they're never content. They only want more. At one point, they want cucumbers. That's what they're complaining about. Remember when we were slaves and we could eat a cucumber? No one's ever requested a cucumber. And before you come to me after service and say, Paula, I love cucumbers, do you put dip it in sugar or is it your spoon for ranch? Because that's not loving cucumbers, it's loving ranch, okay? So at one point, these terrible people are in the middle of the desert, they're like, we could have had cucumbers. Sure, we'd be slaves, but we could have had a cucumber. And they're never content with what God has to offer them. They're not even happy that God isn't smiting them because he was just saying he was gonna. But Moses, Moses isn't like that. Moses wants to go deeper with God. So when, God, when Moses asks what Charles Spurgeon calls the greatest petition a human has ever asked God, he's not asking it because he's uh, discontent or unthankful. It's because he is constantly pursuing a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And so this week I was preparing for this and I was like, I think I'm Israel. I think that I'm mad that I don't have a cucumber because I, d I don't know that I am always seeking the deeper level with God. And I think that most of us, we all have those days. We all have that phase where maybe we're just, well, you know, we're not in slavery. Okay, but we need to be like Moses, and we need to be actively seeking. And so this next part is so important. Um, God tells Moses, okay, I will reveal to you my glory, but you cannot see my face. No man can see my face and live. So here's what's going to happen. And so God tells him, tomorrow morning, come back into the mountain of Sinai and um, make sure no one else is on the mountain. Make sure there's not even sheep, okay? Just you. And bring two new tablets so I can retranscribe the law. And then what there's a, there's a cleft, and I'm going to put you in the cleft, and I'm going to cover you with my hand, and then I will pass by you, and you will see my back, and then I will proclaim my goodness to you. Okay, so this is a really weird thing. Um, Moses can't see God because Moses will die. God's glory and his goodness is too much for humans. And so God actually protects Moses from himself. And so if you, if you take a minute to consider this, this is God just going on a walk. This isn't God um, enraged. This isn't God feeling any crazy emotions. It's just God walking by Moses and still his glory is too overwhelming. So Moses goes up the next morning and um, he, it doesn't say if God puts him in the cleft or if he gets in, anyways, he's in between the rocks and the Lord puts his hand over and he proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So why is it important that God proclaims who he is? 
it's important because now we know God says, this is who I am. So just like Moses goes to God and says, you are our God, and he reminds God who he is, we can do that too. We can remind God in prayer, hey, you are a gracious and merciful God. And not that God needs our reminding, but he has partnered with us. But also because sometimes we need a reminder. We need to remember that God is um, slow to anger, that he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And it's just important to hear what someone has to say about themselves. We live in a society that loves identity. This is my identity. This is who I am. These two verses are God's identity. This is who God is. So um, I just want to break this down. And so first, God is merciful and compassionate. And so in Hebrews, it tells us that we don't have a high priest, it's speaking of Jesus, who cannot empathize with our uh, weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things and was without sin. So Jesus knows. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be human. And so he has compassion on us as we go through these struggles, as we go through life and we face different things. Um, God is gracious in Isaiah 30 tells us that therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He exalts himself to show mercy to you. And in um, Psalm 23, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me for the rest of my days. But the actual translation is more like pursue. Goodness and mercy pursue us. So not only is God gracious, but he wants to be gracious. He's waiting to show you grace. He's exalting himself so that he can be merciful to you. Um, the, he's slow to anger. And so all of the verses that talked about God being slow to anger were just a, um, it was prophets and apostles, and they were literally quoting this verse in Exodus that I just read. So God is slow to anger. Um, he's not looking just like he's, sorry, he's not looking for things that you do wrong so that he can be angry. He's just like we said, he's looking to be gracious and so he doesn't fly off in a rage. He's not angry all the time. And I think sometimes that's the vision we have of God is just this angry old man sitting in heaven. But he's not. He's slow to anger. Um, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm, Psalms 36 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Um, and then forgiving. And Jesus says in Matthew 26, he's um, walking the disciples through what we call the first communion. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so uh, this verse in Exodus, Exodus 34, 6 through 7, it's, um, it's called the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And I like that because John 3.16 is a great verse. But I'm going to go further and say that this verse actually sets up John 3.16. And so this verse sets up Jesus. It, it's, it's proclaiming what Jesus will be. And it, by saying that God is forgiving, he is telling us, like, there will be a way for forgiveness. Um, and then it says that God is just. Romans 3 uh, says, 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as propitiation by blood to be received by faith. Um, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so justice, um, justice in this verse, it brings about a type of tension because this verse starts and it's talking about all of these nice qualities of God. He's gracious, he's merciful, he's abounding in love and faithfulness to thousands, it says. And then we get to justice. And it says that God by no means will, um, let me reread it, will by no means clear the guilty, but visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And that seems like those those two parts don't me mesh. How can you be loving and slow to anger and gracious and wanting to give mercy, but then uh, visit justice upon generations? And they're not at odds. So just like um, it says he wants to be gracious, he wants to be merciful, Jesus took our justice. And so the cross, we can choose to turn to the cross and accept the justice there, which is uh, grace. It's Jesus uh, taking the justice for our sins. He took the, the punishment and the consequence for all of our sins. Or we choose, knowing that God is just, we choose to stand before God on our own and receive our justice. And this is still, this is still hard. Why can't God just forgive everyone? But it's because he is righteous like Romans says, but his righteousness is what actually allows him to accept the cross as our justice. So um, this last piece, it talks about, so there's two different phrases. Um, he says that he visits uh, love and mercy and graciousness and slow to anger. He visits that on thousands, but then it says that he um, he will not clear the guilty, and he will visit that upon the father's son to the third and the fourth generation. And at first, that seems like, oh, great, I'm being punished because my great-grandpa was a terrible person. But that's not what it is. So this, this piece is um, complicated, and it's something that I don't think we'll ever know fully until we get to heaven. So I spent a lot of time uh, talking to Anthony about this. Um, so bear with me as I try to explain it. So first is there's consequences for sin. And so if, um, if you live a certain sin, whatever that may be, whether that's um, affairs, addiction, um, robbing a bank, whatever, whatever your sin is, it will have consequences, and those consequences may affect your children. Your marriage might fall apart. You, you might teach your children how to be in addiction, and they might suffer addiction. You might go to jail. There are consequences that may affect your children. Sin does not just affect you. Um, so another thing is that that's my son who wants to go home. So I'm doing really well, guys. <laughs> Um, 
sorry. Another thing is that children learn by example. Um, I always want to go home. He always wants to go home. Uh, children, they learn by example. So if, if your children are watching you walk through life um, unrepentant before God and just choosing to turn away from God and turn away from God, the chances are your children are going to learn to turn away from God and they're going to continue to walk in unrepentance. They're going to continue to walk away from the Lord. And that does not mean that the Lord cannot intervene miraculously and save your children, but children learn from their parents and they learn from what we do. So um, some people will call this a generational curse, but a generational curse is actually more demonic. So um, if you are saved, you are not bound by a generational curse. You are free in Christ. And so genera generational curses do not affect us because as soon as we begin to walk with the Lord, um, we're not bound by that. And um, sorry, I lost my notes. So you have to choose. We Each generation, each person is required to make the choice. We don't inherit salvation and you don't inherit sin. But there comes an age where we may choose to walk in the sins of our fathers. And so my personal um, example of this is on my mom's side, four generations of women, I'm the fifth, four generations of women before me um, struggled with alcoholism. And they struggled with, um, in their marriages, with husbands who also struggled with different addictions. I, um, my mom was saved when I was a little girl, and she, I grew up in the church. Um, I don't actually remember not being saved. And so my, as my mom walked with the Lord, she taught me to walk with the Lord. And while my mom has struggled with um, alcoholism, I, I don't have those struggles. Um, and part of that is the Lord, it, he rewards that faithfulness. He, um, he tells Moses earlier on that he will be, he will show mercy who he will show mercy to, and he shows mercy to those who turn to him. And so um, I, when I read this verse, you know, I, I see that third and fourth generation, but I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm not worried that God is visiting sins from my great-grandmother upon me because I walk in the freedom of the Lord. And I know that he is, he is looking to show me mercy. He's looking to show me grace. And he's looking to show you mercy and grace also. So um, I, I know that some of us carry burdens from family, but we don't have to carry those. You're not just because your dad struggled with something or your mom struggled with something or your grandma. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's 10 generations <laughs> You have the freedom in Christ. He is pursuing you to show you mercy. He is righteous to show you justice, but graceful justice where Jesus takes the justice that you deserve. So um, today as you exit, um, I have cards with this verse on it. And then on the back, it just has some phrases um, for us to use to remind ourselves, you know, um, that we might be sinners, we might be unfaithful, but God is faithful, God is loving, he is abounding in steadfast love. So um, I'm going to pray and I'm going to call the worship team back on, I should have done that a few minutes ago, <laughs> um, 
So, Lord Jesus, God, we just thank you that you chose to reveal yourself to us. And Lord God, we thank you that um, we can see Moses intercede. But Lord, we know that Jesus is the ultimate intercessor. And Lord, that you gave him freely because you loved us. And not to condemn us, but you sent him to provide a way for us to know you and to go deeper. And Lord God, I just ask that anyone who um, feels bound by familial struggles and sin, Lord God, that today they would release those, that they would know that they are, uh, they belong to you and they are free in you. And Lord God, that the shackles are already broken, that they just have to walk away. And Lord God, I love you so much in your name. Amen.